All right, welcome back everybody. It is October 5th of the year 2021, which is flying by, by the way, as we were talking about that earlier as we were regrouping before the show. Uh, but we actually have someone else on, as opposed to just normally Joey and I. It's Matthew Brown, who's been on before. He's a very good friend of ours, friend of the program. We're gonna have him on as normally as possible, mostly just because I like him a lot and Joey does too. And I think he has some really great opinions that are usually conflicting to mine. He thinks a little bit differently. And Joey and I agree a lot, so I wanted to add a little bit of spice, a little bit of flavor to the show. So welcome on, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to have you. All right. So we're going to go over a bunch of stuff. We obviously have crypto stuff as we're going to start, uh, a little bit of SEC stuff, real estate, and then we get some tech at the end. It's going to be a nice, happy, calm Monday. But the first thing that I have to ask you guys, because you might know, I'm an old person and I truly don't know. What does the term gatekeeping mean, like in the internet sense? Do you guys know? Um, in the terms of uh, internet sense, I, I don't know if I would necessarily know... Uh, get what the term gatekeeping means i should i should probably know this given uh, what i'm going to school to get my master's in but um i deal with gatekeepers on a daily basis in my day job and i just refer to those as the receptions who prevent me from speaking <laughs> to the people who make decisions gotcha. so uh but in terms of the internet sense um I, shit i feel like i should know this i've definitely gone over this before but i don't know matt do you have anything I mean, my basic understanding is just people that are part of some sort of community that are withholding information from people that are new and trying to join it on their own. Okay, that would make sense. And you guys are making me feel less old. And it makes me feel really good about myself. So like the context was, I saw on Twitter, it was a picture of somebody's Snapchat story that someone has uh, swiped up on. Just think of it, there was a conversation happening basically in the digital world where Someone commented and said, hey, where did you get this product? And the guy said, oh, just Google this. And they, they told him what to Google. And he said, no, just send me the link. And he said, no, just Google it. And he said, bro, stop gatekeeping. And he was like, no, dude, stop being a lazy POS and get off your butt and do something. Like, and I was like, what does gatekeeping mean? So I, I guess what that is, is like in that sense, it's exactly what you said is uh, someone was, they thought someone was trying to like hold the product back from someone else. And it was really funny. It made me realize, I was like, wow, that's a slang term I've never heard on the internet before. So learn something new, right? Nothing makes me crazier than when someone asks me a stupid question that could just be Googled. <laughs> yeah. And then they expect me to take my time to Google it. And I'm just like, just Google yourself. Like we all have access to Google. It's something everyone can use. <laughs> and almost everyone has a smartphone nowadays. Why, why are you expecting me to Google it and then tell you just Google it yourself? I know, I'm sure Matt, you probably have some thoughts on this. If I had to rewrite the education system, one of the first things I would teach kids in kindergarten, first grade is literally how to search the internet and to gather information in a quick and efficient way. And adding on getting like truthful information, like really using like being able to search, through BS. not just like, not just like your basic, uh, like Google search, like how to use Google scholar. If you want like evidence-based research and yep. like how to, Determine between what sites and bias and that type of thing. Yep, I totally agree with that. So that always gets me too, is like, are we getting so lazy to where we think our, th our phones are gonna kinda like think for us? And I wonder that too, because I think my phone does a lot of thinking for me too. I mean, autocorrect is the best example of that. And while autocorrect has its flaws, it generally improves your life. And I know, like, especially even when you're just typing on your computer, you can usually get half a sentence out and then just hit enter and it's gonna send you exactly where you wanted to go. So at what point does the AI kind of take over and be like, oh, well, I know more than, I know more of what his preferences are than what he even knows. Um, yeah, I think in that sense, you know, uh, 
an argument could be made towards that the computers are starting to take over and do most of the, the thinking for us. But then where where I try to counter that is yeah, but it makes your life the, easier. Yes, it makes your life easier, and the human part of it or the human aspect is the analysis. Right. Yes, a computer can spit out a number at you or spit out information, but it takes a, a human being with a brain and, and some prior knowledge and a deep understanding of something to actually analyze what that number means or that information means, break it down and convey it to other individuals. Sure, I can agree with that. We had a really fun idea the other day. I was talking with the, my computer programmer buddy and we're like, what if we made an app? I don't know how this app would make money, but what if we made an app that basically analyzes all of your recent, um, I guess, like search engine searches, your social media, basically just all the information that you input to the world and it spits you back a confirmation bias of basically this is this is what you want to hear this is what you'd like to believe is right uh, this is where your biases lie and here's where you can find more information that might conflict what you think I think that'd be really interesting I don't think anyone would use it but I it would just be really cool to see I would totally use it I want to know I want to know what I'm not thinking about uh, take that and apply it to politics they compare like you run this test or whatever and exactly politicians run it too and then it spits out this is who you should vote for based off what they actually do and what you think yep totally agree so i think the only issue with that running into is that we're going to realize all of a sudden that a lot of people on who think they're on one side of politics may not be on the side that they think they are because there was a lack of understanding but this is not a political podcast and we don't get into that so it's it's time that we move on <laughs> So, all right, we'll do crypto world first. We'll get through that. I had a thought today and there's a couple of events that are following it that kind of led to it. Uh, so the first thought that I was thinking was like, everyone's kind of one way or the other. They're like, all right, I'm old school. Fiat currency is going to rule the world forever. There's no way we're going to get away from it. Central governments, blah, 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 blah. And every, you know, on the other side, you get decentralized finance is going to run the world. It's going to be everything. It's the total future. And I said, I, well, I think they can coexist simultaneously perfectly fine. I think that they're entirely different and that you would use fiat currency for things like um, uh, government programs and normal benefits, insurance, stuff like that, that kind of everyone's into. And then you use the decentralized finance world to solve those problems on your own if you don't want to participate in the current existing problem solve. What do you guys think? I don't know what fiat currency is. Just like a I was about to say, can we break down fiat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A fiat, fiat currency is literally like the American dollar, uh, Canadian dollar, the Swiss franc, stuff like that. It, it's like a, it's a centrally accepted government currency that you could use anywhere within that certain country. So it is the exact opposite of decentralized finance currencies. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. So when you're exchanging yeah. your dollars for any good or service, you've participated in using a fiat currency. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think they could exist simultaneously. I don't see why not. Um, I think you'll always need a, a centrally uh, based uh, type of currency to make, I don't know, like pay your electric bill per se, your utilities, make right. uh, rent payments or mortgage payments. Um, maybe not so much rent, actually, if you had a landlord who preferred a payment in Ethereum. But uh, right. But anything, anything going to like major gas companies or electric companies or um, I don't know, large purchases, I think you're going to still need a centrally backed currency. I agree. You're getting exactly to where I'm trying to go with this, which is that you can have the central currency, the fiat currency, like the American dollar is probably going to be around until we die. I would I'd be willing to bet on that. I don't think it's going to go away in that time, but you would use that for 
exactly what you said, rent and utilities payments, things that are basically guaranteed as like a, uh, like a quality of life type thing. You use that as a budget for, all right, this, this thing right here is going to afford me the style of life I want. And my DeFi stuff is going to afford me everything past that. If you make good choices in the DeFi world, you're rewarded by funding projects that improve the uh, lives of others past the current standard. The fiat currency serves to maintain that standard. That's where I was going with it. I love that outlook. I think that would actually help people be more financially responsible if you kept the the two separate. Um, if each person had their fiat and uh, that was how they sustained their current lifestyle and mm-hmm. then you had the DeFi and that was how you advanced. And that way people would stop buying so much on credit, hopefully, right. and digging themselves into holes or spending um, their fiat currency on stuff like a new um, Tesla per se, whenever they're not even established in their own life yet. Exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing, where basically you have this amount of money to budget. And then, I mean, you could get into like, Andrew Yang talks a lot about his, uh, he's got that uh, universal basic income or whatever, and which I was as a capitalist totally against for a minute. And then I, I listened to him speak on the Morning Brews podcast. Uh, it was, I think it was sometime last year, and he actually did a fantastic job of laying it out. Where basically that's your allotted money to say, okay, I'm going to budget this like the normal goods that we get, not above and beyond. Like you wouldn't use that for anything else simply besides running your life on a monthly budget and determining how you want to live. Everything past that should be other goods and services. And we treat more, we treat things more like a market economy almost, which I mean, is how things were thousands of years ago and haven't been since then. I, it just, it's fascinating to think about where we could go. Yeah, we could go anywhere with DeFi. I don't, I mean, we talk about this all the time. The possibilities are endless and we're just starting to dip our toes into it. Right. And, uh, I mean, Bitcoin was the, was the start of it a couple of years ago. And then now this year we're seeing the emergence of NFTs and oh, I mean, I, that it's only going to continue to expand. Yep. All right. We can move on. We beat this one up a little bit. So Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk is a bit of a polarizing character. If you've ever heard of him, he's kind of like a, you know, self-made do it yourself, uh, get off your ass and get to work kind of guy. And it's just what he does is motivational speak. How, how would you describe what he does? Like, I don't even know. He's just, he's a motivational speaker, right? Yeah. He's like a guy who just shotgun four Red Bulls and, has no filter and <laughs> uh, he's not scared to swear either. <laughs> no. And he'll just scream in your face and tell you what he thinks is, is, uh, is what your reality should be. I love him personally. A lot of people don't like him. Uh, as John said, he's very polarizing. God, yeah. But, uh, he's a pain. He's the type of guy that <laughs> you'll say something and he'll go, well, why can't you? Like uh, I could say, uh, I'll never be a millionaire, and he would go, "Why? Yeah, I won't. I won't see a million dollars by thirty. And he'd be like, "Why the hell not?" So <laughs> yeah, I guess think like Joe Rogan meets uh, uh, Tony. What's his face? Tony Robbins. <laughs> that was literally what I was gonna say. He's the finance version of Joe Rogan. Yep, that, that's exactly right. <laughs> he had a fun opinion that I saw on Twitter the other day. Uh, maybe it wasn't on Twitter. It was a video either way. So he was being interviewed. And they said, well, Gary, why are you so into these NFTs and these digital assets when you can't hold them and value them? And he said, dude, you can look at the blue check mark next to my name and my 5 million followers, and you can value that. You can tell that I have an audience based on that. And that's true. That's not a tangible asset in any way. That is simply something that exists on the internet. He's just been confirmed by some company that he apparently knows what he's saying. That's a cool take on the ownership of digital assets. I like that a ton. Yeah, the blue check mark is something people take a lot of stock in. And it's value. That in itself mm-hmm. is is an asset. 
I know uh, Dave Portnoy out there, uh, founder right. of Barstool Sports and another online media company. Um, he doesn't have a blue check mark because for some reason. Well, he doesn't want one. That's um, his. That's his. Shtick. Yeah, exactly. Twitter or Instagram won't give it to him, and he he's just owned it and says he doesn't want it. But aside from him, um, like if you're looking for someone who's well known, and you don't see the blue check mark, you're just probably going to assume that it's a fake account or they're not worth their time. Right. I think what Gary was trying to say is more so that your online brand persona is val it can be valuable like you can actually use it to generate money and to increase sales of a product or a service or anything like that and whether it's a blue check mark or not it's just quite literally like there's certain names you could say kim kardashian is my favorite example of something like this kanye west names like that pretty much everyone in the first world understands who they are they'll be like oh i've heard that name before that makes it, it purely makes it valuable because they have such name recognition so i think that's kind of where he was going with that whether or not it's tangible intangible recognition by the masses is important anyone yeah <laughs> yeah certainly uh <laughs> I mean, recognition by the masses is important and that's how a uh, product sells just like the immediate recognition of kim k you don't even have to say kardashian now or you might not even have to say the k you can just say kim and people will just immediately jump to kardashian yeah Hermer kim uh, possible yeezy you don't even have to say kanye west you can just say yeezy his brand that yep. he's made and this man is selling pairs of crocs for 500 dollars <laughs> just because it's him yeah literally all right the last point i want to do on that is uh is more so just that some people truly like don't want to be found or aren't able to be and i think that's what makes them valuable so I saw this, uh, it was probably yesterday or something like that, and someone was saying that TikTok has been such a massive success, not because the famous people get more famous, but because the completely unknown people are able, they're the ones that are valuable. Like you'd rather discover someone on TikTok than you would find someone who's already been found. And that's what makes the algorithm so powerful and so much fun. And I thought that was a cool take on it. I don't love the app, but it's, it's like the world uses it, pretty much everyone. Yeah, I love the take. Uh, I think the the way TikTok has their For You page structured, um, it's probably one of the better ones out there. Whereas if you're making good content, you're going to end up on the For You page yep. for people who have interest in that content. If I go, if, like, uh, for instance, I've never posted a TikTok in my life. I go to Disney World, I make a lightsaber, my girlfriend records me. <laughs> I post a TikTok of that, I get 2,000 views, and I've never TikToked ever. Yep. So, I mean, it's it's really good for get getting started and getting your name out there. And you're absolutely right. It's because it found you and it sent you to 2,000 people because that was stuff someone was interested in, and not because you already have brand recognition. And I kind of like that. As much as I'm totally against it, because I don't know if you knew, but it's literally run by the Chinese government and they have a backdoor into everyone's mm. phone. Blah 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 blah. But, you know, I'll get off my high horse here, but. It, <laughs> It, it is exactly for that reason so good because it matches you to what you want, not to what it wants you to want, which is what Facebook and Instagram do. They try to draw you in certain directions and they try to elicit emotions from you, but this one really doesn't. So that's that's my spiel. Yeah, the Chinese government's already infiltrated us. I tried to fight the TikTok uh, <laughs> yeah, <good> infiltration <laughs> for a while now. I refused to get on it for maybe a year and a half, two years. And now I'm just fully sucked in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like to watch my little 10 second clips and swipe. So 
I understand. What are you going to do? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Let, let's, you're right about that. Let's go back to the NFTs really quick because this is something that we, we've griped about to each other over text. And it's that the stupid, absolute fake, stupid NFT accounts just will not stop coming. And I'm kind of sad because like we're kind of stuck down this path. Like we followed the things that it knows to send our way. So I get like five fake accounts a day that message me and are just trying to sell something or do something stupid. And it, like, it really bothers me when I know it shouldn't like it's two seconds out of your day, but it's so annoying. I'm so sick of it. Yep. Once again, uh, it's kind of a theme we stay, we, we talked about in the past with these NFTs, do your research before you uh, buy one, because there's a lot of fake ones out there as oh, we're learning. So All we did was follow like, I don't know, two, three NFT accounts and, and maybe search NFT in the search bar, like, five times and now like john said maybe five times a day yeah i'm getting messages uh do you want to allow this person to message you and then i look at it and it's like hot oh, drop coming in soon yeah only some broken english in minutes there. left oh it's <laughs> yeah, terrible. they it's have terrible. no followers no posts and it's Half like russian uh yeah it's ridiculous. so i mean there's going to be vultures out there looking to prey on people whenever you got the wild west, like uh, the NFT landscape. So always do your due, due diligence. Absolutely. I was wondering, and I know we've also talked about this, is when does the intellectual property kind of become a thing and a problem to deal with? So like there was a project that recently came out where it was it was like cartoon skulls of famous characters. Think uh, Peter Griffin, Fred Flintstone, stuff like that. And I said, well, those those characters are owned by an entity like there is there is a company that owns the right to those characters and if you're profiting off that that is technically illegal however you're operating in a space that is entirely ungoverned and i mean what if someone wants to give you a fake digital currency uh for that intellectual property and then you exchange it for dollars that's like three different transactions who do you blame who goes to jail what happens i can't wait to see how we figure out how to govern that yeah, something's going to happen here. I mean, you can't sell rights to an IP that you don't own already, essentially. Right. Like, I can't just put a tiger stripe on Darth Vader's helmet, make it orange and black, and say, here's my new NFT. Give me money, and it's all yours. Uh-huh. If, I, if I'm making money off Family Guy in any way, um, I'm going to get a call soon, and it's not going to be a happy call. <laughs> yeah. There, there are large corporations that own these, and I don't think they're going to like this very much as to what they can do though who knows yeah you have to wonder is like yeah i'm suing you for a 300 ethereum they're like well what's an ethereum then you have to explain to a courtroom full of people what a cryptocurrency is and go from there and no one's going to understand and they're going to be like why are we even here <laughs> that would be but what mess. about the people that are already selling like like legit artists that are doing paintings and that type of stuff like mm -hmm. you go to a farmer's market whatever it is and they're doing mock-ups of all your favorite characters with some sort of twist or whatever. I mean, they're still profiting off those same images. Right, but they're not making that much money. Um, I mean, they walk away with what, 500 bucks a day and it's no big deal. 200 Ethereum is, my God, how much money is that right now? It's a ton. That's what some of these things are selling millions. for. Yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> the IRS does not give a flying flip about you if you're not making more than 25 grand off of your uh, off of your your illegal activities and do not take that as advice please for the love of god do not cite me on that <laughs> i will go to jail immediately and i don't want to go to jail but i mean that's the truth of it they're, they're worried about the bigger problems not the little ones yeah a couple pennies here and there eh. yeah a couple couple hundred thousand 
uh, it might be worth looking into. Yeah, something like that. That's <laughs> what I, you're one, saying is, yeah, go ahead. List them for a small amount of Ethereum, a very small amount. If you sell a lot of them at a low amount, it's okay. Yeah, but you can't sell them for one big chunk. That's that's exactly what I'm saying without actually saying it because if I say it, it's advice, and I don't think anyone should take my advice. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it's a nice disclaimer. Yes, should, I followed you there. You should figure that one so out. So don't on your listen own. to what John is saying. Yeah, yeah. But do as, put one and one together. Don't do own. as I say. Do as I do, which is not that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, while we're on regulation, there's a there's a small one we could talk about. Is that the SEC recently announced? It was the end of last week, which I know we had an early episode last week. So the SEC is building this big, massive, shiny new facility in Washington D.C. for over three hundred and fifty million dollars. So. I'm sitting here and we've got all this news about the government running out of money and having to go through the shutdown, which you can't run out of money if you're already in debt. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then the SEC goes like, yep, well, we need a ginormous office in order to regulate you guys a little bit further. And I was like, man, that sucks. <laughs> so that's a ton of money. <laughs> I was going to say. They need, I guess they uh, need to. We talk about all the. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. I was say, we always talk about how office buildings and office space is dying and then. Boom, $350 million in yeah, this building. I can't believe they can't just regulate us from remote. <laughs> <laughs> no, they already have access to everything they need. Yep. Uh, why do you need to do it in an office building? Yeah, they had to add on a uh, they had to add on a cryptocurrency division to make sure that Mr. Gary's getting his uh, his share of the Bitcoin trades. What a mess. The long arm of the Fed's going to get their way into the crypto world sooner or later. God, you're telling me. Well, if we're on real estate, then we can immediately move on. There was a great one. Uh, so Pricewater, PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is an absolutely enormous accounting firm. I mean, think like Deloitte, stuff like that. They're, they have over 40,000 employees, and they're allowing all of them to work remote. This, this release is fresh today, which is yesterday from when this is recorded. Uh, that, was, that was a fresh release. And previously, they had an interesting model previously. I kind of looked into it. So it used to be over the past year or so, anyone who was not a client facing employee was allowed to do full remote. So, you know, accounting people who just worked on spreadsheets and people who didn't deal directly with clients could already do that. And so the new system they're implementing is that everyone can work remote if they want, I assume because they want to cut down on the rent they're paying. But here's the thing. They dock your pay if you live in a cheaper city. My first thought was, how the heck do you actually measure that? Is there like a city CPI? Like, I don't, I don't really understand. What do you guys think? Um, can they look up just what the standard of living numbers are for each city? I mean, I, guess I know obviously it's hard to put a number on it, but there, I, got, I know there's studies and lists out there. Like, everyone knows San Francisco is a ridiculous amount of money to live in compared to, per se, I don't know. Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jacksonville. You can say New York to Florida what, in general. They've scared all their friends yeah. away. No one wants to be there. Making $120,000 in San Francisco is a lot different than making $120,000 in Jacksonville or Pittsburgh. Right, exactly right. And that's been <laughs> happening for like a year now where people realized, oh, we can work remote. Uh, we, we make we make two hundred grand in New York. Why don't we just move down to a place where it costs us $35,000 a year to live and save the rest? And then the firm's got, you know, they got hot to it and figured it out. I don't really think that's fair. I think if you can do the same amount of work, you should get paid for the city you're technically stationed in and be able to enjoy the rest. That's just smart. That was my thing too, is like how much of your work is valued based off the cost of living to be mm -hmm. in that area. I mean, like you said, it should be based off the goals that you're achieving, the product that you're creating. Like 
that makes sense and how would they track it too i mean because you could be an expensive city and you could be the guy that's in the penthouse apartment in downtown Jacksonville, but you could also be the guy in the suburbs, which costs significantly less. Yep. Or the like hippie dude that lives out of his van, and you've got three majorly different cost of livings for these people. Right. And they could all make the same product. I totally agree. Your yeah, your value and your payment should be based on what you produce, not where you live. It doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, I don't get, I don't get why we value someone's work differently based on where they live. I mean, I understand it's just you know, the price of bread mechanism. might be more expensive in one area than another, but I mean, if you actually value the work that I'm doing, then why would you decrease the pay just because I live in another city? Yeah, it, it's big old cost-saving mechanism. It's ridiculous. But I uh, doubt they're going to bump the pay up for the people that work in more expensive, more expensive cities. No, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to try to save what they can. Well, I mean... That was another big one. Is people were like, "Yeah, well, we could, we could literally, we could live our like our farm dream. We could just move out of the Midwest and like rent a ranch or a, an RV or something like that, and just do what we want, uh, buy a Wi-Fi router, and do all of our work there, and you know, live the good life out on the ranch and kind of enjoy it and live lean, make whatever you want." That sounds like the dream to me. That sounds awesome, dude. I would love that. On it, I always say it. <laughs> You'd miss your I've Xbox. Said it a million times. <laughs> I've said it so many times that my backup plan, um, it's not necessarily just living on a ranch, but my backup plan, if things ever go south and I need to disappear, I'm just going to go build a shack on some <laughs> unknown piece of land where no one can find me, um, preferably closer to a beach. And then uh, I'll just like flip burgers yep. and sell them. That's my, and, uh... like, that's all I need in life to be happy. That and Wi-Fi. Yeah. Give me Wi-Fi and get me close to a beach and I would be perfectly fine. Matt, Matt and I are cursed with a love of nice cars and vehicles, and that's pretty much what's getting us through our lives. <laughs> Shoot, if med school don't work out, I'm joining the Amish, though. Yep. <laughs> do hard work, read a whole lot of books, live a simple life, be perfect. It is a simple life. Oh, that's great. All right. Well, the opposite of the Amish, San Diego is having a really interesting problem that I was reading about. Uh, so they're having an overcrowding issue in their neighborhoods. Is people have these lots that they own and pay for them. And so what they do on their extra lot is that they build, <laughs> it's called a granny flat or an accessory dwelling unit, which is literally like its own little standalone guest house for, I guess, if you have an, if you have an elderly parent or a college kid maybe is what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, I mean, your kid has to come home for a bit, make them stay in the, the shed that they've turned into a home. But essentially it is for older parents that are living with you so they can not be in the same exact house as you, but still live close enough that they can get to you if they really need to just walking distance. And apparently that's causing San Diego some big old problems these days. You know, it's funny you bring that up because my girlfriend actually has an older sister who's 28, 29, and she is one of those traveling nurses. And she moved out to, I don't want to say San Diego, but somewhere out there in California. And she didn't know, but she was she paid someone to stay in a granny flat, essentially, with this random family, wasn't even related to them. And she was there for all of, like, 24 hours before she left and went to a hotel until she could find other living arrangements because she just did not like it. Yeah. But it's funny because I mean, those, those are real things that go on out there and I've seen it firsthand. I, I guess it must be more of a, um, like a wealthier community type thing. It's, it's like the definition of a first world problem is like, Oh no, too many people have guest houses. Wow. But I don't, you don't really see many of those in Florida, at least from what I could tell. Maybe further down, like uh, West Palm Beach is somewhere I would think. Maybe Naples, probably. But Jacksonville, no. Orlando, definitely not. Tampa, nah, not from what I can tell. 
Yeah, I think you see them more so out in California just because of what we were just speaking of, uh, just the higher uh, cost of living. I mean, I know, you know, my sister's girlfriend may make a ton of money living there, but she also spends, you know, your uh, sister's girlfriend, maybe twenty dollars, twenty dollars you, you for said, a yeah, loaf of bread. I gotta stop you. You said your sister's girlfriend. We want. We do need to unpack that. Oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! Yeah, walk that back. My girlfriend's sister. Those are two very different around. things. Those are two very different <laughs> Thank things. Thank you for catching that. I just want to give um, you a chance to, to set yourself right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my sister would not have been happy. <laughs> yeah, she didn't listen to this. That's all right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like $20 for a loaf of bread out there. So Jeez. it's it's just a financially sound thing. I guess it makes sense if someone's going to rent out their guest house. It's better than paying rent uh, in a expensive, expensive apartment building. But I mean, yeah. other than that, I don't see how they would be feasible anywhere else. No. All right. I, mean, I think people do it all the time with Airbnb. I mean, you rent like the guest sure. house or studio apartment over the garage, but it's way better than what people used to do in the 1900s. The kids would move out and then they'd rent out the room to some random stranger, like in the household that's connected to the same kitchen, bathroom, all that type of stuff. Really? I don't really hear about, I don't hear about that often, but again, I'm not that old. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, I guess it would help you with your mortgage. Well, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely way better to be detached from the household, I would say, if you got like that space in between where you have your own little area. I wouldn't want to live in the same area as a family. I don't know. That's kind of weird. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Even those bed and breakfasts, I don't know if you guys have them down in Florida, but there's a couple up here in PA I know out near the Amish country, like Lancaster and Hershey area, where like you can stay at a bed and breakfast, but you're you're living in another family's house. So when you wake up in the morning, you're going down to the kitchen table with the owner of the house. I feel like bed and breakfast is a pretty, pretty dated business idea, business model, but I don't know. There's a little bit of interest. It's like a, it's like kind of like a cute niche product, maybe if you're on the beach. Yeah, on the beach or, uh, like I said, out in, out in Amish country, bringing oh, up the yeah. Amish again. Out in the That's mountains. where, uh, yeah, another one of my girlfriend's sisters said it right that time. Yep. Recently got married at a bed and breakfast uh, out in the middle of Amish country. And I think they stayed the night there as well. That's awesome. Oh, man. I think that would be pretty unique. Yeah, I don't know if that's something people do out in just rural areas or, or whatnot. But it was a very nice wedding. Well, so Couldn't tell you. All right. In the interest of time, do you want to tackle tech? Yep, I'll move quick. Hit it. Um, today, uh, any today, yesterday, <laughs> if you're listening to this on Tuesday, Monday, October fourth. Time travelers. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp—they're uh, all owned and operated by Facebook. We're down for a large part of uh, the entire day. Um, I think they recently got back online around 6:30 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Um, so if you have one of those accounts, you may have noticed that uh, that you couldn't refresh or do anything or log in. Um, and just a funny little connection that I saw to this. Um, it followed the 60 Minutes interview, um, the show 60 Minutes that airs on Sunday evenings. Uh, last, this past Sunday, October 3rd, um, there were, was an interview with a notorious Facebook whistleblower, Francis Hagen. I may be pronouncing that wrong, uh, but this person recently outed them for the entire company being aware of how their platform is used to spread hate and violence and not doing anything about it. And I know there's a big lawsuit coming um, uh, involving the whistleblower on Facebook. And I don't know all the details because we'd be here for the next five hours trying to talk about the court case, but there's definitely no connection, I don't think. But it's uh, it's an ironic little uh, 
you know, whistleblower comes out in an exclusive 60 minute interview on a Sunday evening, all of Facebook's platforms go down for uh, the majority of Monday. They know exactly what they're doing. I bet on that all day. They know just what they're doing. <laughs> Yeah, Zuckerberg's a, a smart guy. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't look past. Yeah, any, they wrote the any, algorithm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be quick to write this off as a coincidence, but um, but who knows? Yeah, social media he has just, such crazy power. He just storms out of his office, hits the big red button, shuts the thing down for like <laughs> yeah. six hours, and it's like, all right, they can't say anything if they can't get on. Nuke it. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to be ungrateful? All right, boom, no social media today. And See how you like that? That's funny. So like. I, I was out and about, I was, at an, I was at an event all day, so I, I was literally not on my phone at all, and then I get back there, I open up my phone the second I get home, and there's just meme after meme after meme of how the, like, the internet was down for a whole day, and I was like, isn't it funny how, <laughs> any other day I would have been so locked in and known exactly what was going on, and it would have messed everything up, but just being lucky enough to be out for that one day, it feels like you're disconnected for a year, it's crazy. That's how fast information moves, dude. We live in the age of information and it moves at a million miles an hour. And the other thing, we live in the we live in the age of the individual too. It's like I see that more and more. Because it's been people have been saying, you know, information age, I agree, but they're saying information age, age of the individual. I like those things. Yeah, definitely two very good things, but two very dangerous things. Sure, definitely. And actually we should probably not do that today we could be here for another hour doing that. <laughs> there's there's too much <laughs> philosophy and stuff to get into there all right yeah well i agree there was uh there was one more you had down there matt did you want to talk about the crypto credit cards no that'll be a longer topic i'll save that for another time well have you heard of the BlockFi card we could touch that really briefly i know we did that last week no i haven't heard of BlockFi. we'll touch that you're gonna like this so BlockFi is one of those companies that you know they run the crypto markets and you can exchange stuff so they, they released a credit card pretty recently, and I'm, I'm actually on the wait list to get one. I really want one, and you're going to love this. So you can connect it to your bank account and pay it directly through there, but you know it's the same thing. It's like a monthly credit card, and here's the best thing. You get your rewards in Bitcoin, like your cash back rewards. You get 1.5% of every single purchase cash back at the end of the month in Bitcoin. You can cash it whenever you want. And it's 3% for the first three months, something like that, but... 1.5%. I mean, if you did your normal monthly spending, just if you charged your rent to your credit card, all your groceries, anything, any car work you had to do and paid it off just like normal at the end of the month, you walk away with a very volatile variable asset in which you can exchange for pretty much any other cryptocurrency on the market. That is so valuable. I'm, I cannot believe everyone in the world is trying to get one of these right now. I really want one. So what I thought was though, was like credit cards that actually run off of crypto so like you have a card that is like based off like ethereum and you can go and spend this ethereum in the uh DeFi market to do whatever you want so if you want to day trade with it you want to buy and sell nfts you can use it's like that one thing you talked about previously where you like people loan out coins that they can use or whatever yep the staking so you do this you can spend it and you can try to create money based off of this but again you have to pay it back at the end of the month the thing is, it's so volatile. I mean, how would that work? I mean, all it would take is one Elon Musk tweet, and the money that you used at the start is now worth way more or way less. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they could do that without a necessarily stable currency to base it off of. Whereas, like, cash, like, it's obviously going to be roughly the same using the American dollar from the beginning to the end of the month. Agreed. So this brings us perfectly full circle where I totally fully believe that fiat and DeFi can exist in a totally normal world. Is you would use your DeFi for stuff like the rewards in which you can 
you know, exchange it for not normal things, but you would still pay your credit card and your monthly rent off in normal American dollars, simply for ease of use and convenience. And also then there's no gas fees attached. You don't have to deal with the extra stuff. I know, Joe, you've been, you've been dealing with gas fees recently, haven't you? Oh, gas fees. I know I kind of touched on it last episode, but we'll hit that one more we'll people need up. to get supercomputers. Yeah, more yep. people need to get supercomputers and get processing on these transactions. If you missed last episode, essentially gas fees are uh, kind of like a, like a tax that you pay um, for transactions in the crypto uh, DeFi world. Um, and essentially, you're just paying the, the people who process the transaction for their their time and their energy and their manpower yeah, uh, power. as to how they facilitate it. Yeah, so you're, you're almost paying for gas. Think of it, to make the crypto car go, you gotta put gas in. And right now, gas can cost like 10 times the price of the actual transaction. Like I'm talking, the transaction can be $400, but you're gonna pay $2,200 in gas for a grand total of 2,600. Yup, you're exactly right. And the last part we need to do on that before we do wrap up as we are on time is that the funny thing is your gas fees will change depending on the time of day, purely be, purely based on how many people are trying to process transactions at that time. So if you think of it like a highway, highways clogged up, it's going to cost you way more to force your transaction through. 3 a.m., no one's online, bing, bada, boom, there you go. It's nice and cheap. Yep. Yep. Uh, supply and demand, like we always say, you know, not, if not a lot of people are trying to do it. Uh, demand's low at the time, supply's high, a lot of people got... Uh, free beefy computers and can facilitate and broker these transactions. You're gonna you're gonna pay far less than someone trying to do this at per se 2 p.m. on a random Friday. Yep. All right, it's time to wrap up. You guys got anything else? Yep. Uh, take us out on a quote. Uh, just gonna press it. This is a good one I got for us today from Albert Einstein. You ready? Always a good one. All right. So Albert Einstein. I uh, was speaking to a class of students. He wrote down the the. Uh, the multiplication table for the number nine. Uh, when he got to eight, he wrote the wrong number down. Instead of writing down 72, he wrote down like 76. And everyone in the class made fun of him for it. Um, and he said, despite the first nine questions, no one congratulated me. But when I failed, everyone started laughing. It means that even if you almost always do, do things right, dumbasses will always notice your slightest mistake and won't care. It's true. I love it. All right. I think that wraps us up. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on Friday morning per usual. Yep. See you Friday.